In a world where it seems like there's so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who are spending their lives doing and seeing the good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I am so thrilled to have on the podcast today, Jim Kaysen. He is a Nevadan, having been born and raised in the desert scapes of Las Vegas. He left there in 1975 to serve a mission in the Philippines. Two years later, he moved to Provo, Utah, and has resided in that area ever since. His education includes undergraduate degrees in music, organ performance, and communication and graduate degrees in social work and music, choral conducting. He's a published composer and has written 12 organ volumes and numerous choral arrangements. His life has been richly filled with service as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's recently retired as of 2022 and now living the life of one who has been repurposed. And Jim reminded me that my sister Camille, or Cami, as he knows her, worked with him in the BYU admissions office, right? In or no, not admissions. What office was public, it? Public affairs and guest public relations. Affairs, public <laughs> affairs and for a few years. And and it was one of the sweetest times of her whole life. She's like, I will always cherish that time of working there. And and you just reminded me of that when we first started talking. And that is so fun. I have, I've, I've only met you like a few times when my sister was there, but she loved that so much and spoke so highly of you and everyone in that office. So it's so great to be talking with you again, Jim. Oh, it's great to be here and to have this opportunity. Well, I would love to talk with you, first of all, about growing up in Las Vegas and what were some of your interests and strengths as a child? Like, did you always love music? Did you love performing? Did you love, you know, talking with people? How did you get involved in in social work? Was that something that as a child you were like, I really love talking with and picking people's brains and finding out more about human psychology? Was that something you discovered later on? Well, that that's an interesting time in my life. We, my brother and I, who's John's about little over two years older than I am, we were raised in a, in a dual religion home, which was fascinating. My mother was LDS and my father was Catholic. Oh, that and, is an uh, interesting relationship too. <laughs> very, very interesting. And things there were, mom was inactive. Dad was, you know, there, because he had married outside of the religion at that time, he was not able to fully participate in the rites of, of his church. And fascinatingly enough, they were okay with this sweet little next door neighbor who said, would you mind if I take your boys to the Baptist Sunday school? So now we have three religions going on in the family. No way. And, <laughs> and so we were, that continued on for a while until the pastor approached my mother and said, when is your oldest son going to be baptized? And it shocked my mother to the point to where she did a knee jerk. And it seems as in a child's mind, she, in one day, we were attending Sunday school and sacrament meeting and primary, and she was involved in Relief Society, and we had home teachers and visiting teachers, and she was just, she was just going to go full blast so that, that John and I actually knew that she was really serious about religion. My dad 
didn't take it lying down, supposedly, you know. So it's early on a Sabbath morning, we would get up and dad would get us dressed and we'd go to mass with him. And when we reached the part where communion was being offered, that's where dad was not allowed to receive Holy Communion. And so he said, come on, boys, we'd always leave at that point. And most of the time we'd end up at Winchell's Donut Shop and then go home. And we'd have donuts and things at home and just kind of kick around for a little bit. And mom would say, okay, boys, get dressed. And then we had church. <laughs> we, wow. We'd go to Sunday school, and then we'd come home, then we'd go back to sacrament meeting. So we were being pulled and tugged until finally the time arrived when in that family, I was young, 11 years old, John was 13, and it was time for us to have the missionary discussions, which we did. And then it was time for us to go to the convent in Las Vegas and meet with Mother Superior for seven lessons in catechism. And so that whole experience really put us on a fast track to deciding, you know, which church were we, were we really going to be affiliated with. Sure, yes. The pressure was on. My brother made the decision first to join the LDS church, and my dad didn't take that very well. And then I didn't like there being division in the family, you know, two members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and two Catholics, that would be, that would be appropriate and fair. That didn't, that didn't work. And I knew that even though I decided that I, I told that I wanted to be Catholic, you know, to make that fairness, what does an 11-year-old know? No, right. And, and then he said something to me that really changed my mind about me. It's okay if I continue to go to Scouts, you know, Cub Scouts at that time. And it was okay if I continued to have my friends that were LDS. That was hard. That was really hard, Carmen. And so I finally decided that I didn't want to do it. And literally, that was the wrong thing to tell my father. And so he was, he was not terribly supportive, but he knew that there wasn't anything else that could be done. Yeah. So I joined the church. And this is fascinating. I was baptized Friday night, excuse me, I was baptized Saturday night, then Sunday morning I was confirmed, I was given the Aaronic Priesthood, and then I was set apart as the secretary in the deacon's presidency, oh, <laughs> <laughs> all within less than 24 hours, and that's been the story of my life as far as you know, service in the church has been concerned. That is overwhelming. Well, what what was it that made that decision. I'm sure your mom and your brother did have influence, but was there a difference in in feeling? And since you were able to go to the Baptist church, the Catholic church, the LDS church, and all religions have wonderful parts about them. And, and you know, anyone that is teaching about following and serving Jesus Christ, that's, that, that is wonderful. But of course, we believe that the fullness of Christ Gospels found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And even as a young 11-year-old, probably not really understanding or knowing what that meant, but did your spirit feel something at, at that church that it didn't in the others? Well, you know, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I had been involved with music, and one of the things that, that I remember was back in the 60s when The Sound of Music came out, and it had it had the music in it had a powerful impact on me. But what got me was when 
Maria gets married and she's processing down the nave of the cathedral in Salzburg. Yes. Ooh, that, and, that's a and, big moment. Yes. That massive, incredible organ <laughs> that was and and all of a sudden that just stole my heart. Well, as a six year old, I would sit at the at a little table in the living room and I would try to make manuscript paper and write music. Something oh, was wow. obsessing me. So by the time I was eight and you know, I, I pestered my parents until they finally found a used piano and and got it at the house. And and my mother taught me everything she knew about the piano in about 30 minutes. And then I started in. I knew that this was, I was overcome with this. Well, that kind of love and that kind of passion that was, it, it taught me that music doesn't choose, we don't choose music, music chooses us. I agree with that. And and that you you know that yes. uh, based on your experience, and so that 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 passion and that deep deep feeling moved along and grew along with spirituality, and and I knew I, I felt so deeply that that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints was where I must be and where I was to be, and then life was going to be a, a new challenge for me once yeah. I had made that decision. Now. We started in with all of the, I need to clarify one thing. We started in with all of these lessons, yes, about the gospel and about, you know, in the LDS church and the Catholic church, but I didn't decide to be baptized until 1969. So I was 13 years old. It, it, it had been growing and growing. My brother and I, <laughs> as non-members had perfect attendance certificates that we were given for being, for going to primary <laughs> Oh my goodness! <laughs> so here, these non-members, you know, it was it was so fascinating. But but I I knew I was taught in primary. I, I knew the power of prayer, and all of these things that were foundational just kept evolving and evolving. Yeah. So by the time I was twelve, thirteen, by the time I was growing into more opportunities with music, more opportunities with the gospel, these things just moved forward in their evolution in tandem. Wow. Mm -hmm. I it is interesting that in the LDS church in particular there's sometimes been criticism that our music is not as rousing, you know, it's certainly it's certainly more reverent and sweet and and I feel like the church has come a long way with these wonderful new youth programs and the strive to be and these fun, you know, face-to-face -face events that they do that they have really fun kind of modern music that teen and EFY albums and things, you know, that are inspirational and kids can listen to. My husband said when he was serving, he served in Puerto Rico in the Virgin Islands. And when he was on St. Thomas, th there's a hill and they kind of call it church hill. And it's like Episcopalian, Baptist, LDS. There's all these different churches all over the hill. And he said, we would have investigators come to our church and there's no air conditioning. There's just shutters that are open and you know, the Island breezes go through and you would hear electric guitars and drums and praise be Lord, you know, in the other churches. And they would be like, you know, follow me. these sweets. And he said, sometimes they'd like kind of look longingly like that church seems really fun over there. And he's like, it would be hard. Like, ah, they're having a party and we're trying, you know, people sometimes wanted the party churches and that fun music. But I honestly have never been more moved in my spirit than, than it's fun, but it's almost, and this is not to put anyone down that, that loves Christian music or those, but 
there's almost something lacking and it's hard to put your finger on it, but hearing the tabernacle choir at temple square, the music and the spoken word or in general conference or that type of music, there's something different. Even if it's, if it's not, you know, the party music, there's something different in the bearing of your testimony with the music that the church provides that is unlike anything else I've ever experienced. And it's, it's like it (laughs) comes from the very fibers of your soul. It's like a confirmation of, you know, like the scripture says, the song of the heart is a prayer unto me. And and I haven't been able to find that anywhere else. It's fun and it's exciting, but like this deep seated, like Testament and peace and joy. I've only been able to find that in, in the LDS music that I've been experiencing or been a part of. Have you found the same? You know, that's a very powerful example. And what you're saying is absolutely my personal experience. I had a very, a very dear mentor that taught me one time, uh, spiritual experiences are always emotional, but emotional experiences are not always spiritual. Oh, that is so good. Isn't that magnificent? And I have thought about that ever since my undergraduate years when he taught me that. And and it helped me to understand, it helped me to explain experiences that I had before. And then it helped me to understand what my responsibility was in moving forward. You know, I, I'm not I'm not somebody who is critical of, but I'm I'm not one who is convinced about the concept of praise bands. Because as you as you look at a praise band in many churches that have decided to go that route so that they can hold on to youth and invite other youth in and engage them, it has it has lacked honestly that component of deep spiritual power and movement. Yes. And and I I have to tell you this quick little story. I was asked to to play as a youth for a, a state conference choir. It was all children. And this woman has had developed throughout her life an amazing gift, an amazing gift to reach children and to teach them spiritual power and understanding. So she wrote an arrangement. It was a medley of pioneer songs because it was state conference was in July. So she, she, her accompaniment was, was the organ and the piano together was a pipe organ, the piano that they would have at the stake center. And then also she did something that she caught some real heat for, but she had a trumpeter. <laughs> and because it wasn't a sacrament meeting, she thought she wasn't going to sure. say anything. And, you know, we'll just see what happens. <laughs> but what she did with these kids, Carmen, it was amazing what she did because she would teach them. For example, when she talked about the Willie and Martin Handcart Company and explained to these children what, it, what that was all about, she brought three ounces of flour and some and some pork, and she put it in bags and let them feel it, and she told them the stories. She engaged these kids. Well, when it came time for that piece to be sung at the end of state conference, and these children are singing all of these little tunes that she's put together at the end, they're singing, And Should We Die?, before our journey's through. She engaged these kids in such a way that they did not apologize as they sang. They were singing at their full spiritual force. And you have full organ, piano pounding, and this trumpeter with a descant. 
I'm telling you, when that poor sister got up to offer the benediction, she was a total wreck. And so was that congregation, because the Spirit just poured into that chapel. All of us were so overwhelmed by it. And now you look at that, and that's not an entertaining factor. What that is, is a deeply powerful spiritual experience. Yes. And, and, And that taught me that that's what I needed to seek for the rest of my life with every piece that I played at the organ and every choir that I directed. And that's exactly what I've tried to do. Oh, I can just picture, especially around Pioneer Day, and those children singing and with the trumpet and everything. I mean, I had goosebumps the entire time you were saying that. I could just picture that powerful spirit coming into the room. And, and it is. There's music. I, I teach voice lessons. And I, I have about 20 darling little students. And I tell them, music touches your heart in a way that that nothing else does. And there's something about singing in particular that is so vulnerable and in, in sharing your soul with someone. I said, it's the one gift you're given, music especially, purely to give away. It's the one talent you're given that is purely to share with others. If you're just playing the organ in your house by yourself, you can enjoy it, but no one benefits from it. it you're blessed with it purely to share with others. You're blessed with beautiful singing voices purely to share with others. It's a talent Heavenly Father gives you just so you can share it with others. And and if you have that in mind of, I'm using this to bless other people's lives, and especially if you can use it to bring others closer to Christ, it it is Heavenly Father magnifies your talents. And I can honestly say from having performed on stages all across the country and in Canada to thousands of people 20 years ago when I was on my American Idol journey and singing fun Shania Twain songs and fun Leanne Mives and having wonderful, beautiful, fun experiences on stage. I, my voice has never sounded, sounded better or, or, or clearer or, or more beautiful than when I've sang and given firesides and devotionals to the youth of the church and singing spiritual songs and bearing my testimony and the scripture that, or, or the quote from Parley P. Pratt, it's one of my very favorites that talks about the spirit enhancing all of your faculties. Mm-hmm. It truly can do, it, 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 it works its way into the fibers of your being and can just magnify every part of you to where you can't do on your own. And I have such a testimony of music bearing witness of of the savior and 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 sharing the spirit unlike anything else and so i i can just imagine that and i and i i love that you say that you've made that your life goal because it's so hard not to get caught up sometimes in the entertaining factor and the applause and the excitement of it and that's wonderful and of course we we love going to fun plays and we love people sharing their talents and i love doing that too and listening to the disney shows and those are so wonderful and great, but but there's an element that 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 is is missing, and it's that that spiritual confirmation and testament that only comes from sharing the gospel music. And I think that is so wonderful and incredible that you've made that your life goal and sharing your talent that way. It's it's been fascinating because two things that come to mind that I 
I was asked by Max Pinniger, who was the president of the MTC, and also another gentleman was asked if if both of us would put together and start the choir at the Missionary Training Center here in Provo many years ago, back in 1978. Yeah. And when I, as I as I worked at the Missionary Training Center, there was a there was an opportunity that I had because I was getting my my master's also in choral conducting. I had been in, I had been exposed to to working as uh, and he was my mentor Wilberg. So, oh, wow. so just as he was finishing up his time at BYU, I was finishing up my master's. I'd, I'd done a part time master's wow. degree. Anyway, he he I learned so very very much from him. One of the first pieces that he wrote, one of the first pieces that he arranged, I should say, was Redeemer of Israel for brass percussion and organ and choir. Well, that was premiered at the Provo Tabernacle, and I was at the organ. And when I heard all of those forces coming together, it overwhelmed me to the point to where I knew that this piece was something that there would be a time when it was going to be very key that I, I actually used this piece. And, and so at the Missionary Training Center, the choir at that time, there weren't, weren't a lot of missionaries that were at the MTC. I mean, you know, maybe 1,000, 1,500 at the time we were growing. And, and we had a choir of about 230-ish and I decided that it was time to do this because Elder Maxwell was coming to speak. <clears throat> and as we pulled that choir together and then we started singing, I, I changed, I didn't change what Mac did in the arrangement. I just added forces. So the first verse and the last verse I added in the congregation to give it even more strength. And as I, we sang the first verse with all of those forces, I was directing the, the congregation. I turned around and glanced at the stand before I went back to, to direct just the choir. And as I looked, Elder Maxwell had the hymnal down in his lap, and tears were streaming down his face. And we finished. That got me. That got all of us. And oh, when we yeah. when we finished, we we had sung on whom for a blessing we call. Elder Maxwell pronounced the most powerful apostolic blessing on that gathering that I had ever heard. Wow. And I knew that the power of music was was even stirring the hearts of those who weren't necessarily great musicians. You know, Truman Matson, he he called me and he says, you know what, I don't know whether to make you a high counselor in the stake or to put you in charge of stake music. Yeah. I have a mission for you, and that mission is this stake at BYU is going to be known as the music stake of BYU. Oh, wow. So that same piece for the first stake conference in the Dion Concert Hall, we sang. And congregation was involved also. It overwhelmed everyone. They were, they were just overtaken. And <laughs> I'll never forget it. There was, there was someone that had, there were a few that were critical and that didn't like what it transpired. <clears throat> and Truman said, he said, have you heard comments? And somebody said, yes, there was a, a, there was one who just said, there's not supposed to be brass in any of our meetings. And that was just completely going against the policies of the church. And Truman said, I want to know who that was, because I'd like to take their temple recommend away from them. <laughs> no way. <laughs> he, said, he said, he said, on the most sacred edifices on this planet, we have an angel with a trumpet, not a flute, not a violin. <laughs> he said, Amen. The trumpet. <laughs> the trumpet. The I laughed and laughed. I just thought, okay, well, I'll take my cues, President. If I've gone a little too far, I'm happy to yes. you know, 
backpedal here and do do better. She says, oh, no, we're moving forward. Let's do it. <laughs> Jesus loves the brass section. I believe that totally. He gave oh, one to Marone, like you're giving the trumpet. So well, interesting. Anyway. And it, well, and it can be, that's the thing is that it, when the spirit is there, it really can be done in such a beautiful, amazing way. I mean, you, the Redeemer of Israel, when that trumpet comes in, I mean, it's just, it is so stirring and so moving. I mean, I can't imagine so many of the tabernacle choir songs without a brass section. I mean, it just is so powerful. It's so true. And it's so great that that things are different now and things yes. can, you know, you just have to be, you, I've always been sensitive that I don't want to do things that are going to offend, you know, the the spirit or cause, right. uh, you know, I was always taught you play to the first chair. Yeah. And what, yes. what that means is depending on who that, who the authority is, the yes. presiding officer, you just yeah. let the spirit direct you. You'll still have great yes. spiritual experiences. Just Absolutely. Don't let your ego get in the way. Exactly. And it is. And it's when you're, when you focus on him and, and having him direct you in, in any aspect of your life, it's, it's always better. But with, with anything that you're doing, like, okay, let's let the spirit guide and figure out what, what the best thing is. My son, when he was a baby, hated, hated, hated his car seat. He's 14 now. And hmm. it was a problem. Like it, it, it almost became like this obsessive thing where every time he'd know he was getting in his car seat, he would scream even before oh. we'd strap him in the entire, it didn't matter if it was an hour car ride, if it was 10 minutes, he would scream the whole time. And one day, and then I would cry. So we'd both be crying the whole time and we'd both be drenched in sweat and crying. And I'd be trying to, nothing helped. And one day I blasted the Tabernacle Choir Motab CD at the time. It was how firm a foundation. And when those trumpets came in, burp, 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 he went absolutely silent. And then the song ended and he, ah, 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 and start screaming. So I pushed replay for the first, honestly, like seven, eight months of his life, it, we had to play that. And only that song. Eventually he got to, I'm on my way to Zion. He could listen to that one too, but it was the trumpets and that driving beat bum, 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 that he loved. And he would not cry the whole time. And we just had it on repeat. So I can tell you every part, every musical instrument, every part, I can sing it forwards and backwards. Like because I know that, and that song honestly was the only thing that that helped him and cal and calmed him down. So wow. I am like such a testimony. <laughs> You're such a believer. <laughs> I know that music. Wow, well, so besides um, being an incredibly accomplished musician and and being able to play the organ and and choir directing, and by the way, I didn't know there was a master's in choral directing. I didn't know that you could even get your master's in choral directing. That's incredible. Yeah. And that it's is quite, so it's a program at BYU. That's a great program. That is amazing. And so, tell me what what other choirs have you have you directed or or arranged or what else have you done with with that degree specifically besides the NPC? You know that's that's a good question. I I've been asked to direct the first choir that I directed was with the. It was a father and son's chorus that was asked to come to Salt Lake and to do a a, a, a ironic priesthood. It was a priesthood commemoration fireside. And so we went up there and it was fun because Merrill Bateman was the at that time the regional representative and kind of overseeing everything that was going on. Yeah. That was my first experience. And of course, I've never been one after studying with Mac, I've I've never been one that is 
that really relies a whole lot on already published music. I felt this need to <clears throat> write music. Wow. And, and and I've always been conscientious because I don't feel the need to flood the world with lots of things that I've written. What I feel is though, as I've published things, there has been a specific purpose that has, I've either been asked or I have felt a deep prompting that I need to do something yeah. because something is going, it's going to be needed at some point. Yeah. So I've taken, I've taken three choirs to Salt Lake, been assigned to take them as recently as 2018 when we took a choir from South Provo. And it was, they've always been glorious experiences because, you know, you, you're working with, for the most part, untrained voices. You're trying to figure out how to get continuity. But, But the thing you don't ever want to have happen is you, you have to find this equilibrium that yeah. that that basically allows you to not override the spiritual aspect of what you're doing. Oh, sure. And so I've had many experiences every every year in my home stake here in South Provo, we have had the blessing of having <clears throat> various general authorities and officers come and speak at a, either a Thanksgiving fireside or at an Easter fireside and also had have had the state choir sing. Now our state choir is between uh, about 70-ish singers to well over a hundred singers. Wow. They just come out of the woodwork to do this. And so we also have him sing that we involve the congregation. And when this congregation sings, we have a 16 rank pipe organ that's in our stake center. And when they come, when when these people sing, I have no problem registering the full instrument and pulling out all the sound that it can muster just to keep up with this congregation. Pulling out the stops. Yeah. That is it's, so cool. All this, it's, it's amazing to see. And the worship that goes on is overwhelming to people because, and it's what you said so, so significantly to me, in the church, we really don't perform. There isn't anything in the handbook that talks about performing. It's all about worshiping. Yes. And it's worshiping with the Spirit. And when we leave the Spirit out and we try to worship, or when we come to just be performing things, that's when we lose the power of what could really could really be happening. Yes. And so I've been very conscientious of that. Even when I play prelude music still, I I think, I pray, I ponder, I look at keys and in the different pieces, I look at a theme, and every Sunday when I play, I've gone through that same exercise so that my so that someone can be touched if the Lord is going to let that happen. And even in the chaos that seems to be what happens before church, people come up and we'll talk and say, you have no idea what that did for me today. Or they'll send me a text or make contact in some way to say the spirit moved me so deeply by this. You know, this is what it's about. It's not about me. It's about him. Yes. And, and, and it makes people that maybe, you know, I've heard little sweet primary children sing in sacrament meeting at the primary program. And it doesn't even matter if they're on key or not. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's the intent behind it. And he can make, you know, even people that aren't as musically talented 
still be sounds so incredible. And then the opposite is true. If someone can have the most beautiful voice in the world, and if it's about them or about sounding wonderful and performing and being perfect, there's something missing there. And it is, it's that it's the spirit. And that's that, that's what it is, is, is you have to have that pure intent when you're worshiping. I love that you use that worshiping instead of entertaining and, and then amazing, powerful spiritual experiences can happen. And, and you can, you can touch people in a way that, that, you know, maybe just word alone can't, you add music and words or even just music and it can just penetrate someone like nothing else can. And it truly is so incredible to watch and be a part of. You know, you, that, you, you really do get it, Carmen. It, it's just a very important aspect. Heavenly Father gives us spiritual gifts. Yeah. And all of these gifts come in raw form. They don't come developed. Yes. So we have to be careful how we develop these gifts and the intent with which we're developing. Yes. I was, uh, I've been told in a blessing that I would be, I had been given the gift of music and harmony. And if I would use it in the service of the Lord, it would become an instrument for good. Wow. I, that was my, those are my, were my marching orders. And so I never wanted to be, I didn't ever feel I was good enough as an organist to really be concertizing and doing a lot of recitals throughout the United States and you know, all over the world. <clears throat> um, that wasn't what I was supposed to do. My focus was to, was to use this in the Lord's service to do what he needed me to do. And, and I, I need to, I think I can mention this at this point. I have had a rather miraculous experience since I retired and that is that I, <clears throat> I came to understand that the Lord needed me to do something. And that was that I needed to, to write a book. Now that I don't write books. This was my first, I've been told by <laughs> people to do this. And I all, and I, I knew exactly what it was to be called before I even wrote it. And it was to be called, it was to be called to belong to him. Oh, interesting. And, and this book did not become it it started to take on a, a focus that i didn't didn't really intend for it to take on but it became autobiographical in many ways and so the first chapter talked about it has spoken about my religious experiences the second one has spoken about terribly debilitating generalized anxiety that i started experiencing as a 2 year old and that has been with me all my life. Oh, and the wow. next chapter, you know, it just keeps going. <clears throat> but what I've come to learn is that the power of the gifts of like music and the power of the sensitive feelings that I've had about the gospel have been those things that have bound me to the Savior. And belonging to him helps me develop more deeply these gifts that he has given to me. Not for the purpose of me saying, well, let me show you what I can do, right. but for, for the purpose of saying, here am I, use me as you need to use me, and I'm okay with not being used if that's what needs to be. I'm okay with that. You know, um, and I've learned that from, as, as the Lord's orchestrated mentors in my life, I have learned that from many of these mentors who don't have ego-driven agendas and don't have ego-driven values, but who literally are concerned about just doing what God needs done. 
Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's been amazing to me to learn about what that consists of and how my personality fits into that approach. Are these books available right now? It is. The book's available if you go to Barnes & Noble online, not at the store, but online. You just look up my last name or you just look up To Belong to Him. It's autobiographical. It is transparent. It's about my journey in the culture with the church. And it talks about some pretty things that people, I think, may be both surprised about. But it has been a journey of great great deepening in terms of my love for him and my understanding of him. And I've also learned that, and here's, here's part of the premise of the book, is that I don't, oh, Carmen, I don't, I've given up trying to feel that I belong to any organization on this mortal sphere. <laughs> because even as a social worker, as a therapist, I came to learn early that any, any organization, whether it is a marriage, it is a family, it is a church, it is an organization that you're working for, it is a club, or any, any organization in mortality, they hold in their hands membership. We, we can have membership, if you will, and we yeah. can be deeply committed to them. But to feel as though we are going to have a fulfilled sense of tight, tight belonging is a mistake because it's going to create some disappointment and anxiety and struggle in our lives that really will bring us a, a significant amount of pain. The Savior only intended for us to belong to Him. And if we do, then it doesn't matter what we experience in these kinds of organizations. We can take the rough times and the happy times and the rejected moments, and the pain-filled moments, and the strangeness of the culture. <laughs> we, can, we, can take, we can take the discomfort of all of this because we literally belong to Him, and that is never going to change, ever. And the Father gave us to Him, and it says that in the Doctrine and Covenants. And, and that, to me, has I felt that message so strongly needed to be given, but I had to expose my own, uh, my own experience with the state of being weak and the state of, yeah. you know, being given gifts and et cetera. And that's what this book talks about. Well, I think that you have such a unique perspective in having been raised in a family with two religions and, and seeing your dad and, and his faith with Catholicism and your mom and the LDS faith, and then going to a Baptist church and 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 you're right that Christ wants us all to just come unto him and belong to him and and the way to do that we believe as members of the church is through the ordinances and priesthood authority that have been restored to this church and and absolutely there are there are you know lots of questions and well what about this and what about that and how come we do this in the church and how come that's this is the way, and I certainly have had questions and wondered things along the way of, well, why is this done this way? And is this, right now there's kind of a big, is this cultural or is this doctrine? And is this just policy or is this, you know, the way things are supposed to be? And 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 you can kind of get, I think, caught up in all of that. But if you, if you kind of just distill it down to 
I am Christ and I want him to use me in in the way that that I'm uniquely made for. And and the best way to do that and the way to return to him is through living the principles and ordinances of the restored gospel. Everything else you can kind of say, okay, well, we're all imperfect human beings doing things and things are changing and three-hour church and two-hour church and missions at 19 and missions at 18 and everything else is you can say, but it's okay because because we belong to Christ and if we and and we believe this is his gospel and 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 this is the way that we can all return to live with him. It's it's easier to let all of the frustrating or annoying things go with, well, how come that person can do that? And and they're a Relief Society president. How come they are dressed like this? And how come they, you can kind of let all of that go and, and, and be able to just focus on your relationship with the Savior and realize that his restored gospel is just a means of of getting us back home to him. And so I think that's an important part, a por- Carmen, an important you, point you bring up. You, you can't, you could not have said that better. One of the things that I have that that I also talked about was that I, at the age of four, began experiencing same-sex attraction. So how does one who is single all of their life navigate not only the church, the culture of the church, and the gospel? How does one really figure out how to do these things? Yes. And the only way that it's possible is to belong to the Savior, because mortals produce policies and and you know I, I don't even want to get into you know my my thing there's so many people that want to jump on with me concept well can you believe that this is happening in the church and this and this and this I worked for the church in in one of its auxiliaries at, at BYU for over 22 years yes I, I saw things I experienced things I I I it, it's okay the church has got a deeply deeply mortal influence going on. And even though it's the Savior's church, I, I, I became so frustrated at one point and so I struggled so much with several things that I'd, I had witnessed and that I, I couldn't wrap my mind and heart around things. And there was a thought that came very powerfully to my mind. It wasn't a voice. It was just a very, very powerful thought. And the thought was, Jim, my atoning sacrifice also includes the sins of the church. That's wow. for me to deal with. So oh, I let go of it all. You know, yeah. it doesn't make any difference, you know. Right. And I'm I'm not I love I love the gospel. I love yes. the brethren and sisters that that have these unbearable burdens that they have been taxed with to 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 you know administrate the church throughout the world. I don't expect the church to fill my expectations. In fact, expectations to me, I've tried to eliminate them in my life. Why? Because they annihilate gratitude. They destroy gratitude. And if I want to have a grateful heart, I don't expect anything out of people and I don't expect things out of organizations. I'm just moving ahead. I'm just moving ahead. And I'm, I, I'm aimed at the Savior. That's where I'm. That's where I'm heading. I'm going back to Him. But the church has one size fits all in this way: those sacred ordinances and that sacred authority. Yes. Let's yeah. move ahead. Yes. You know, I, I, I don't. That that's how I live my life and and find great peace 
in in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in this and in this church that bears his name. Well, thank you for sharing that, Jim. And I'm sure there's people that are listening to that that feel like, well, what if I'm not the one size fits all person? What if I have these things that I'm experiencing and and my own vices and struggles and temptations and feel like, but how can I fully be a member and fully be involved in the gospel? And I think what you said is just focus on the Savior, focus mm-hmm. on what He can do for you, and then everything really w- will work out. I love Elder Holland a few years ago gave a talk in conference, and he said that imperfect men and women lead this church. And he said, and that must be really frustrating for him, but he deals with it. <laughs> and I love that so much because it really is true. And how many times have we looked at or judged a state president or bishop? My husband's been in the bishopric twice and people, I can't believe you said this and you embarrassed me that. And how could you call this person that? And how, and my husband's like, oh my goodness, like I'm doing the best I can, but I'm imperfect and I'm probably biased sometimes. And we probably sometimes say the wrong things and we don't, we're not as sensitive. And he's like, we try so hard and we, and we do follow the spirit, but we are mortal and we make mistakes and everybody does. And, and while we know that the church as a whole, Jesus Christ is the head of and will lead and guide and direct, there are absolutely times where things are redirected. Or I love that they say, even the 12 apostles, they, and they've said that said this recently. In fact, the last general conference, like we don't always agree on things. We sometimes think it should, we should, it should be done this way. And others think that, but we always through the spirit and and through prayer, prayer and fasting will come to a united decision and, and what we think is best. And you just, you have to go with that and then say, okay. And then any other concerns and frustration and, but I don't get this will be worked out at a later time. And I, I would love to guide and direct people again to your book and, and Jim, and it's Jim case and K A S E N. Yes. And if, if they want to know, see more about the things that you do musically, do you have songs that they can listen to or download or how can they figure out more of what you do in your work? Absolutely. In fact, there's a website, number 2 to belong and then the number two again and the word him.com okay. and Perfect. there are links to the publisher of both barnes and noble for the book and then also to music publications at jackman music where all the music is published through them i love it jim thank mm-hmm. you so much for talking with me today oh, and for all your beautiful joy. insights and for all the good you are doing well thank you for this opportunity hope to keep doing lots of good Yes. And, uh, for you guys and what this podcast is doing. So it's it's wonderful. And what a great blessing it's been to spend time with you, Karma. Thank you, Jim. Thank you again. I am Carmen Herbert, and I'm so excited to tell you about an amazing app that my whole family loves. It's called Our Turtle House, and it's full of literally thousands of hours of full-length talks, just like the old talk on CDs or talk on tapes, from some of your favorite Latter-day Saint speakers like John By the Way, Mick Johnson, Hank Smith, me, and a ton more. Plus, there's podcasts, firesides, devotionals, come follow me resources, and entertaining content your whole family will enjoy, truly, all in one little app. And you can use promo code doing good, all one word at checkout, and you get a full month free. So check it out and sign up at ourturtlehouse.com. See you soon.